go. All right. It has been a joy and a delight to be with you and to worship the Lord together. Uh, you probably, from visiting speakers, preachers, friends, whatever, that come here, they probably compliment you on your singing. Is that right? Do, they, do you ever get complimented on your singing? It's very beautiful. Um, I want to remind you of a very important truth, and that is that the fact that you can sing well is because God has enabled you to sing well. And so uh, I, I often feel very sorry for people that can't sing well because singing is such a glorious expression of our worship to the Lord, and if you're not good at it and you feel a little self-conscious about it, you know, you might be, you know, I just, I'm not quite sure how they uh, can enter into the joy of worship uh, in the singing part of the service when, uh, when they're not very good at it. But, so if you're good at singing, praise God that you are and that you can express your heart to the Lord in that way. And it's a beautiful expression of our hearts to God when we can sing praises to his name. So it has been good to be here. Thank you for your hospitality. We've had lots of good meals and uh, very good accommodations while we've been here. We appreciate that very much. And we have been very blessed to make friends with many of you. And so um, we did preach a, a message a few, uh, it might have been, I'm not sure which one it was, about when you invest in something, it becomes your treasure. And when you're a preacher, believe me, Believe it or not, when you are a preacher and you go to another church and you share the Word of God with people and you interact with them and you develop friendships and you grow in love together, it, it, it's somewhat of a treasure to you, okay? So I have found it a, a wonderful enhancement to my own life to be able to go out to share with brothers and sisters in the Lord and to, to have the enrichment of fellowship. And so there's a, there's a little bit of investment of my life here and so it turns into a little bit of my treasure, all right? So you folks are a treasure to me because I've invested here. So I hope that you, have, you can feel the same way about us as we uh, fellowship together. And yes, tomorrow morning, we are going to head back to PA. And uh, we're not, we're not as, as nice as Tennessee is and as nice as you people are, I think we're still planning to head back. So I said, well, maybe we'll stay down there. Maybe we'll just, you know, say... We just love it in Tennessee, and we're just going to hang around here the rest of our lives, but we're going to head back to PA by the grace of God tomorrow. All right, <clears throat> enough of that. We'll get on with the message this morning. The, the uh, theme, of course, has been, who am I in Christ? And so, obviously, there's all kinds of possibilities here for sermons. And so, this morning, we're going to talk about being a gentle shepherd, being a gentle shepherd. Shepherd. The gentle shepherd is what we are in Christ. Now, to begin with, every one of us needs to recognize that we have a little world around us that we have a little bit of impact on, all right? And that is especially true if you are a church leader. We have some of you here this morning, church leaders. Church leaders have a flock. And this is the flock of the church leaders here. Anybody who is a parent here today, a parent has a little flock. 
A parent is a shepherd. Um, a school teacher. I don't know if there's, uh, I, I guess most of you are homeschooled here today, but uh, a school teacher will have a little flock, and they are a shepherd. And if you are a, are a big brother, you probably have a little flock that is looking to you as a shepherd. And if you're a big sister, uh, same thing for you. And so every one of us, we call it our sphere of influence, right? We have people around us that are looking at us, listening to us, and watching us, and we provide some kind of direction for those people. And so what, what sheep need is a gentle shepherd. And this is a lesson, and I, you know, I'm a very transparent person, so you, you get me when, when I preach, okay? I don't, I don't uh, try to cover anything up or hide. But you know what? God has been teaching me this for a long time. Be a gentle shepherd. And maybe this is a message nobody here needs. Maybe none of you need this. Uh, if you don't need it, I do. So I'll preach it anyway. And so this uh, message is going to land on anyone who is in a leadership capacity, and that includes most of us here, whether we know it or not or like it or not, most of us are in somewhat, some kind of a leadership role in the life of someone. This is an immensely important message. This morning, a proper application of this message has far-reaching implications and ramifications in the life of the church, family, school, and society if we can learn how to be a gentle shepherd. Would you agree this morning that gentleness is lacking? It's lacking. We look around us in the world today, and gentleness just doesn't seem to be much gentleness out there. Think of, I don't want to lead your mind into politics, but think of politics. Is there much gentleness out there in the world of politics? With people that aren't, aren't, aren't on the same side of, they call it the aisle, I guess, there's not much gentleness there. There's a lot of criticism. There's a lot of conflict. There is, there's unkind words spoken continuously. And then you're out there on the road, driving, and have you ever done anything dumb when you're driving? <laughs> I mean, I, I try to drive courteously and correctly, but every once in a while, I mean, about two weeks ago or three, I did a move that was general. I, I just don't do things like that. Uh, I wish I could put it together exactly right, but I, I looked both ways, and I pulled out, and just as I was pulling out, somebody was there. <laughs> and thankfully, they, uh, they, they did one of these. You know, they were whoop, around me. It's because there was a curve there, and I couldn't see around the curve, and people came around the cur curve at a high rate of speed, and, and I was out in the, halfway in the middle of the road, and this car came around, and instead of giving me the, the old T-bone, which could have been, they just swerved around me and kept on going. And I was very grateful that they didn't run into me, okay? But uh, sometimes we can make a mistake. And did you ever wish that you had like a signboard on the back of your car or your minivan or whatever that says, sorry about that, okay? <laughs> did you ever wish you had that? 
Um, see, that's the kind of message a Christian will convey, you know, but the world would have other things to say than that, all right? Because it's not gentle. They're not gentle. Um, they blare their horn at you. They make gestures at you, and they express themselves to you in very unkind ways when you, and you know what? Everybody makes a mistake every once in a while. Everybody, you know, cuts off or, you know, whatever. It, it just happens. And that's a place where often people show a, a very much a lack of sensitivity, not realizing that in that other vehicle is a genuine human being. The car does not have a mind of its own. It just doesn't do what it does. There's somebody sitting in there, and that somebody is a real person. And so as you are driving, recognize that all the drivers in the other cars are real people, and you need to show the, the love of Christ even to them. And so we, we live in a society that is not very gentle, um, and it's lacking very much in our society, and it certainly should not be lacking among us. We are a, a society, maybe it's not like this down here. This is how it is in PA, okay? I'll talk about the people there. But we live in a society that is full of selfish, violent, demanding, and demeaning people. That's just the way our culture is in many cases. Uh, many will stick up for themselves to the point of violence. And I need to remind us, I don't, I don't need to remind us this morning, that is not the way of Christ. I invite you to uh, Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 18 to 21. This is a reference to a prophecy. I did not look up where this prophecy is found, but I'm assuming it will be probably in Isaiah because Isaiah makes all kinds of predictions about the coming of Christ. But this is referring to Jesus, and these are verses taken from the Old Testament. But Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 through 21, it says, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive, nor cry, Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Just as a side note, I don't know why it was so hard for the Jews to accept that the Gentiles were going to hear the gospel. I just don't know why that was so hard for them. You read through the book of Acts, and it's like the, the Jews, if you remember the, the story of Paul trying to defend himself to the Jews, he, he was able to tell his story and give, give the, the procedure, the process by which he came to be where he was. He kept on going with his story until he got to the word Gentiles. That word made the Jews livid. They could not hack what he was saying anymore. This is in the book of Acts. But um, it says here, in his name shall the Gentiles trust. So the Jews should have looked at their Old Testament and said, you know what, I think the Gentiles have a place in God's program in the future. And when Jesus came on the scene, 
uh, it seems like they would have said, yeah, okay, now that we see how this is all working out. But anyway, what we want to focus on here is the, the gentleness of Jesus. Um, he's, first of all, is he boisterous? Is he loud? Is he obnoxious? No, it says that he shall not strive nor cry. They're not even going to hear his voice in the streets. He's going to be of a quiet spirit. And then verse 20 says, A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench. This is speaking of his quiet, gentle, caring, and redemptive way. And so, since Jesus is like this, since Jesus is like that, and you are a follower of him, does this, is that describe you? Is that the kind of person you are? Are you a quiet, gentle, redemptive, caring person? That is what Christ is, and that is what we need to be as well. Are you lining up behind him? Uh, that will describe you as you follow him. Then we read Paul's instruction to Timothy. Uh, you can turn here if you wish, 2 Timothy 2.24. 2 Timothy 2.24. Talking about the servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord. Now, generally we might apply that to those who are in positions of leadership. I'll just read it. It says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, or taken captive by him at his will. And so who is the servant of the Lord? Anybody, anybody want to step up and say, that's me? I think we all should be stepping up and saying, I'm the servant of the Lord. Yeah, that's me. I'm a servant of the Lord. And it says here that they do not strive. The servant of the Lord must not strive. Do you think they ever do? What do you think? Do the servants of the Lord ever strive? Are they ever trying to get on top? Are they ever pushing other people down? Are they ever trying to push their agenda forward? Certainly. Are they disobedient to the Lord when they do that? It seems like it, <laughs> doesn't it? It seems like it, especially in matters where it's my opinion, that's my opinion, it doesn't have to be done this way, but I'm just going to push my way through this. And we see fragmentation among the, among the people of God. One of the sermons that I really wanted to preach, and I don't think I have, you know, you, you only gave me six chances. <laughs> I wanted to preach about unity. I wanted to preach about love in the brotherhood. Because it's so lacking in so many places. Jesus said, people are going to know you're my disciples if you love one another. And love is not like this. Love does not fight. Love does not dwell in conflict. Love is peace. Love is putting another person first. You go before me, brother. I prefer you before myself. 
That's the way of peace. That's gentleness. The servant of the Lord must not strive. And so if we have anybody here this morning, I want to tell you that if we have anybody here this morning that thinks they want to push their own way in this church, just just give it up, okay? Don't push your way. Be a a team player. Be a, a gentle, caring person that it doesn't have to be my way. It can be your way. Brother, you have your way. Sister, you have your way. We're not going to fight about this. Okay? Don't strive. Be gentle. It says the servant of the Lord will be gentle. And who is gentleness reserved for? Who are you to be gentle with? A few nice people. The people I care about. No, it says be gentle with all men. In other words, there is not a man, woman, child on planet Earth that is excluded from the gentleness of a person of God. It's for everyone. Be gentle unto all men. That means the people that are in the church. That means the people that are out on the highway. That means the people that are in Walmart. That means the people that are under your roof with you. Be gentle to all. All men. That means your husband, wives, be gentle with that man. That is your wife, men, be gentle with that woman. Okay? We are to be gentle people like Jesus Christ, gentle with everyone. Nobody is excluded from the gentleness of a child of God. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, you all know this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. In other words, when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, we are describing, first of all, we're describing God. The Spirit of God is these things. And the Spirit of God in a person produces the character of God. And so the character of God is gentle. And I don't know how you read your Old Testament. I've been reading and I was reading in 2 Chronicles and now I'm reading in Ezra. But the, the gentleness of God with such stubborn and rebellious people, he, he put up with them for a long time. He just, he was so long-suffering with them. He sent them prophets to try to get them turned around and to get them going the right way. They said, nope, 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 we're going to be idolaters. We're going to serve our idols. And then somebody good came along. Josiah, King, King Josiah comes along and leads the nation in goodness and, and in praise and worship to God. And God said, okay, we'll put it off a little longer. But then his son came along. He's a bad guy. And then his son, another bad guy. And, and I think God said, well, yep, you it's, it's over. It's done. We are going into captivity now, okay? But God was very gentle with those people. And even, even as they cried out to God, even in their captivity, God was merciful and gracious to them. So God is a gentle God. And if it weren't for his gentleness, I want to I ask you where you would be today. If it weren't for the gentleness of God. There's even a verse that says, Thy gentleness hath made me great. 
Okay? God's gentleness in your, in your life is very healing and very redemptive. And so these are spiritual evidences, the fruit of the Spirit in a person's life. There are times we have a, a response, and I want to tell you this this morning, and I'm, I'm giving myself away, okay? Um, you may be a very passionate person about truth. Anybody like that? <laughs> I'm passionate about the truth, all right? Maybe you found that out these last few days. I'm passionate about truth. And it's easy for me to be passionate in a carnal kind of way. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can, you can be so passionate about truth that it comes out as though, oh, there's not much kindness here. There's not much gentleness here. This is coming, coming in a hurtful kind of a way. And I have suffered from that affliction. There are times we have a response that is right, good, truthful, honest, and passionate. And we can call it what we will. We like to give it a good label. I like to call it holy indignation. Okay? Makes it sound like it's a really good thing. Maybe we call it passion for truth when actually we have allowed the flesh to override the Holy Spirit in our response. We have taken what is good and applied the flesh to it, and it comes out in a rather unkind way. And the result, what is the result of that? Sometimes it's more damage instead of restoration and hope. I don't know if anybody here can relate to that. I don't know if that's you or not, but that is something I have suffered from. One of the sheep that is under our care comes to us who has been wounded and is hurting, and what did they get? I've had wounded sheep, hurting sheep come to me, and they left hurt worse. Just being honest with you. Sheep need a gentle shepherd. I want to tell us this morning that this is wrong. And this is not the way of Jesus. Jesus is gentle. And if I'm going to be his person, I'm going to be gentle too. I invite you to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to read a story here. This story is a little bit, if I'd have been there, I'd have felt a little awkward, okay? <laughs> I'd have said, well, uh, we might have been, uh, some of us might have been looking the other way, saying, oh, this is a little bit awkward. But apparently to Jesus, it wasn't awkward because uh, he had some very positive things to say about what was happening. Uh, 7.36, Luke 7.36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, 
when she knew that Jesus was at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. Now, let's just stop right there and think about the cultural setting a little bit. I'm not, I'm not really, really heavy into biblical culture, but obviously it was different than mine. <laughs> in my culture, people don't just come in the house and do whatever they're going to do. At my house, you knock on the door, and I say, well, I, well what are you doing here? Why, I, this, is, this is not real. I, we weren't expecting you. You know, um, we're having dinner right now. <laughs> Maybe you can come back later. Okay, that's my culture. I'm, I'm telling you, that's just the way I'd probably respond to that. There are people that come to my door at unusual and maybe inappropriate times. And generally, I, you know, maybe I should be more gentle with them, but, I, you know, this isn't the right time. Uh, this is the middle of the night. This is 11 o'clock. Uh, just go back, get in your truck and, you know, keep going. Uh, you know, that's, the, that's my culture. But apparently in this culture, it was normal for people to walk in. And here, here they're having dinner, sitting at meat, and this lady comes in from the city and look at what she does. It's really an awkward situation. I, I'm almost embarrassed to read it, okay? Um, it says, and, and stood, okay, let's, let's get back here. Um, that's verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city, which was a sinner, when she knew Jesus sat at meat with the, in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bitten him, bitten him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Can you imagine the scorn going on in this man's mind? He's thinking, this woman is disgusting. She does not belong here. If this man really was a man of God, he would say, get away from me. That's what the Pharisee was thinking. All right. Verse 40, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Seest thou this woman? Maybe Simon was looking the other way because he thought this was too awkward. I don't know. Um, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with her tears, with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. 
And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. So here we have an evil woman. Very evil, very scorned and despised by the religious society. Very broken, needy, hurting. And all she could do was weep. All she could do. She faced nothing but scorn and criticism and condemnation from her society. How did Jesus respond? How did Jesus respond to this woman? In Jesus, in Jesus, she found forgiveness. I want to tell you that in you must be found forgiveness. The, 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 the world is going to treat you bad. People are going to hurt you. It will happen. And when that happens, what's going to come out of you? It must be forgiveness. We have to have a full tank of forgiveness. Life is full of hurt. You've got to forgive. Okay? We cannot hold bitterness. We cannot hold resentment. We cannot do that. If we are going to be like Jesus, we've got to forgive. In Jesus, she found healing. She found restoration. If you're going to be like Jesus, this is what you need to be like. Her life was changed. She was never the same again. Could it be you? Could this be me? That we are that kind of a person. Always good. Always gentleness. Always kindness. Always forgiveness. Did your, did your child ever come to you saying, Dad, I broke the Dad, I ran over a rock, and the blade is shot. What do you do about it? You're sitting at the table, and in passing the casserole, the milk is knocked over. Never happens at your house, right? Never happens. But the, the milk is knocked over, and it goes all across the table. It used to be, oh, no! What are we going to do? <laughs> no. After a while, you learn. Just get the rag. <laughs> okay? You learn after a while. This is so normal. This is so natural. This is going to happen very frequently. Just get the rag. Or maybe I'll get the rag. You spilled it, I'll get the rag. Okay? Gentle. A gentle response. You know what? The broken machine doesn't matter, and the spilled milk, we know that doesn't really matter all that much. Our children's failed attempt at doing what you told them to do doesn't really matter. How about the daughter? The daughter tries to make something delicious for the family, maybe a baked item, maybe some cookies or muffins or some cake, and they did something wrong. Actually, my wife did that a while back. It was pretty long ago now, but we had... We had, a, we had a lady that gave us some volunteer squash from her garden. 
They were volunteers. They weren't some cultivated variety. So they looked like they'd be okay. So my wife just baked them up, cooked them up like normal pumpkins, and she made one of our favorite desserts. And it's called pumpkin cobbler, by the way. I don't know if any of you make pumpkin cobbler, but pumpkin cobbler is really, I mean, it is top rate. We really like it. But she, it was almost like back in the days of Elias. You remember the story where they sliced those gourds into the pot of soup? <laughs> and they said, alas, master, there's death in the pot. <laughs> I tell you what, <laughs> this pumpkin cobbler, there was death in the pot. I'm telling you. <laughs> it, was, it was like my son Sam. Sometimes he would make jokes about the food. And, oh, this is terrible. You know, acting like it's really bad. So nobody else wants it. So he can eat all of it himself, you know. And so he's sitting there. He's the first guy taking, oh, this stuff is terrible. You know, he's making all these faces. And we thought he was joking for sure. He said, no, I'm serious. And, we, and so we, we all dished some up. We said, yeah, wow. Woo. This stuff is terrible. So uh, anyway, death in the pot. So maybe your, maybe your young ladies at your house have made something that just didn't quite turn out right. And you know what you tell them when that happens? You need more practice. I think you should try again. Okay, so maybe they'll come, it'll turn out a little better next time. But, uh, you know, those things really don't matter. Those things are all just things of earth. They're matters of, they're, they're temporary. They're just things that are going to come and go. But you know what? The heart, the heart of your child is not going to come and go. The heart of your child is going to be affected in some way by what happens. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to be gentle? Kind and thoughtful, or is it going to be a difficult situation for everyone? May I say this morning, the failure of the sheep is not nearly as important as the right response of the shepherd. Okay? The shepherd's response is what matters most. So the shepherd's response needs to be one of kindness, gentleness, forgiveness if need be, and to show the love of God. I see my time is getting away, but I'll try to wrap this up here. But it's, uh, let's refer here to an old song. Can your sheep, no matter who they are, whoever your sheep are, can they sing this song to you? Now, I don't expect they're going to stand by your side and sing, Gentle Shepherd. I don't think they're going to do that. But think about their response to you. Is this what they would say? Gentle Shepherd, come and lead us, for we need you to help us find our way. Gentle shepherd, come and feed us, for we need your strength from day to day. There's no other we can turn to who can help us face another day. Gentle shepherd, come and lead us, for we need you to help us find our way. Think about your little sheep saying that to you. Let's go on to Psalm 23 for a few moments. Psalm 23. You all know this by heart, so I don't have, you have to give you any time to look for it, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We're going to make this applicable to the shepherds here today, not to the Lord. We know this is talking about the Lord being our shepherd, but let's think about this in reference to the shepherds among us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This man, this man, my father, is my shepherd. I am content. This man is my pastor. I'm content. 
This man is my school teacher. I'm content. Ladies, this man is my husband. I'm content. He satisfies my needs and he treats me right. Verse 2, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. You know this shepherd? This shepherd of mine, he nourishes me. He nourishes my life. I'm fed and watered well. There's peace with him and me. He is a great asset to my life. Living bread and living water are regularly communicated to me. Verse 3, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He helps me. Sometimes life is hard. You know what? Sheep have a hard life sometimes. Sometimes life is hard, but he stands with me, and he stands for me. When I talk to him, he builds me up. He encourages me. He renews my hope and my strength. That's my shepherd. He shows me how to live. Notice it says, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The shepherd, if he's going to lead anybody in the paths of truth and righteousness, guess where he needs to walk? The shepherd needs to walk where he wants to lead others. He needs to walk in righteousness himself. So I can safely follow him. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. My shepherd, he would go anywhere to help me, even if it's to the ends of the earth. I've told my children already, if you are in California and you need me, I'll be there. Okay? Sheep need to know that the shepherd will be there anywhere, anytime, for any reason. He walks with me through difficult times. He protects me from harm by providing accountability. He asks lots of questions. Does the shepherd ask lots of questions at your house? He should. He makes sure I am not in spiritual danger from the music I listen to, the videos I watch, the friends I hang out with, the books I read. He makes sure, young ladies, that I am properly dressed and properly veiled for my protection from the predatory people and the evil spirits. Verse 5, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. The shepherd provides such a secure and a happy life for me that we can laugh, we can enjoy life even in hard times. Life is pretty good with a shepherd. He is a great blessing. He loves me clearly, and he loves me dearly. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So that is the life of the sheep under a gentle shepherd's care. May God give us grace to be a gentle shepherd. 
We're going to stand together for prayer.